Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. As you find your seat, would you greet somebody near you, next to you, and say, good morning. It's going to be a great Sunday together. I'm excited about what God has in store. Great to see you. Say hello. Welcome somebody. We want to be a church that's not just a friendly church, but a church of friends. And we're excited that you're here. Hopefully you grabbed a cup of coffee on your way in. You were greeted, but we're looking forward to what God's going to do. We had a great men's breakfast yesterday. If you missed out, you missed out on some amazing chorizo. It was delicious, and we just had a great discussion, a good topic, and we were just blessed to be a part of it. I want to let you and remind you men, every first Saturday of the month, we do a free men's breakfast. It's totally free, and uh, just come enjoy some food and some fellowship with all the men. And we talked about Bibles. Isn't that a good thing for Christians to talk about the Bible? That's pretty good. Good. When I mean to talk about the Bible, we literally talked about bringing your Bible and how that's a statement. And so let me see all, all the people with their Bibles this morning. Let me see it. Let me see it. All right. There we go. Got a couple, couple phones. Okay. A couple phones. All right. I get it. It works. It works. It's digital. It works. What a testimony. We talked about this. We said, what a testimony to our neighbors. When they see us getting out, if you park your car outside, not in the garage like I do, and then I can sneak into my car, sneak out. But when the neighbors see you walk into your car, and then it's you carrying your Bible tucked under your arm, and then you got your spouse, significant other, your kids, and everybody's got this tucked up under their arm. What a statement that is. You know, when you see somebody with this tucked under their arm, do you wonder where they're going? You kind of know, don't you? I mean, if you had to take a guess, you could kind of figure it out real quick. Now, I get it. I get it. I've got my Bible, and I read my Bible mainly on my phone. I get that, too. Yeah, totally. However, we are supposed to be salt and light in the world. And what a powerful testimony when we carry this book into the house of God. We talked about how there were those that, and this isn't part of the message, this is free. You don't have to pay for this part. We talked about how there are those that are in other parts of the world that they can't have a Bible in public possession. Horrible things could happen if they were to be shown that they had this book and how they treasure it. How you and I, we probably have half a dozen copies lying around our house, don't we? And so it's a, it's a thing that here in Western culture, we could, it could do us some good to come back to maybe saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe I need to carry one of those. And so if you don't have one, our church gives Bibles away free. Take them. We got stacks of them because we want you to have a copy of God's word if you don't have one. So take your Bible or turn on your device. And go to the book of Acts, chapter number six. We're in a series entitled All In. Somebody say, All In. All in. Oh, man, you had no coffee. Come on, one more time with some, with some caffeination to it. All in. There we go. Thank you. Somebody did. All right. That's what I want to hear. There we go. We're all in. And I love how Christians say, I'm all in. I'm like, you don't sound all in. And it's funny because that's kind of how our lives are, aren't they? I'm all in for Jesus. I think you're all in for Eeyore. That's kind of more your personality right now. And yet, so many times we talk about being all in and it scares us. It's been nerve-wracking. And so in this series, we've been just unpacking one man. His name's Peter. You may have been familiar with him or you've heard about him. And his story is significant. It's powerful. 
because he would have these all-in moments and he would vacillate between being all-in and all-out and sometimes not being in. And I can find myself in his story. So that's why I wanted to pick the topic of looking at the life of Peter because you and I, we can find ourselves in his story. And so we're in Acts chapter number two. And I want to read several verses. So I won't ask you to stand. I'll just let you stay there in your seats because I'm going to cover a lot of, a lot of the word this morning. So you bear with me. The word of God says this, Acts chapter two, verse number one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Real quick, let me just stop. If you're new to church, the word Pentecost is the word 50. It just means seven Sundays after Easter or the resurrection, okay? It's just 50. So this is 50 days after Jesus came out of the grave, 50 days later. That's Pentecost. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. There wasn't a windstorm. There was just the sound of a windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 16 languages in all. 120 people, upper room, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes down, rushing, sound of a rushing mighty wind. The neighbors are hearing what's going on because we kind of have in our mindset that they, everybody had gotten in their cars, put on their Sunday best, drove to the synagogue, drove to the church, got out, went in there, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost comes down. They're having a, a meeting and all the neighbors are saying, what's going on in that church? That's not what's happening at all. This is a neighborhood. This is a home. About 120 people in there. A large home. And all of a sudden the neighbors are saying, something's going on. We got to find out. And they said, we're hearing what's going on inside of there. And they're saying, I understand it in my language. How amazing is that? My wife is born in the Philippines and uh, came here when she was 15 years old. And so I'll ask her, what language do you dream in? She doesn't dream in English. She dreams in Tagalog. We can be in a crowded mall. We can be in a crowded airport. And we'll walk by somebody that I know they're speaking Tagalog. And I know there's lots of stuff happening. And I'm saying, you know, I could, I, I, I could kind of make it out. And she's like, I know exactly what they said. She's like, I'm not even trying to eavesdrop. It's just, that's my native tongue. I pick it up right away. I know it. And maybe for you, maybe if you understand Vietnamese, if you un understand Cantonese or Mandarin, or if you understand Spanish, you can be at a crowded area. All of a sudden, somebody starts speaking your language. You pick it up. That's what was happening. 
And these people were amazed. Imagine you're in a foreign country because they're visiting, because there's a feast there. You're visiting a foreign country. And I've been in several foreign countries. And there's all the native tongue. And I only speak English and not very much of that. And so when I'm in a foreign country and I hear somebody speaking English, all of a sudden I want to go talk to them. So imagine you're in a foreign country, and in this foreign country, you're not used to hearing your language being spoken, and you go over there. That's what's happened in this moment. The Bible comes alive when you just kind of look at it, doesn't it? I love it. But here's the explanation. It says in verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're drunk, that's all. And I love verse 14. This is where we'll stop for a moment. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And then we could go on through the rest of the passage because Peter begins to preach a powerful message. This message that 3,000 people are saved and baptized. This message that sets people on edge. And he calls them out and he says, you wicked people who crucified Christ just 50 days prior. And these people are pricked to the heart. And if you've grown up in church, you know Acts 2. If you've gone to some Bible studies, you've heard about the revival that broke out at Pentecost. You know that in Acts 2, this is the birthing of the church. This is where the church starts, right here. But I look at this passage and I look at this man, Peter. Because this is a defining day. Everything changes. Because not only is it the first day of the church, this is the birthing of the church age. But here's my question. Peter preaches an amazing message. He goes on from where we stopped reading in verse number 17, 18, all the way, and he preaches till verse 41. My question is this. Did anybody ask Peter to preach? Did anyone ask Peter to have a message ready for that day? Did Peter know what was about to happen that day? And such is the way of God. Because at any moment can be a defining moment, a life-changing moment. What you think is a normal day, all of a sudden, God comes in and he does something profound and significant. It was a defining moment. It was a day that changed everything. It was a day that all of a sudden, what was going to be normal, what was going to be something that we, we, we just wouldn't understand. Here is Peter and he steps up and he's saying, I got to do something. I got to say something. But that's interesting for Peter, isn't it? He's used to putting his big foot in his little mouth. However, at this moment, he's stepping into the right moment, isn't he? And God's going to use him. But it takes something. It takes being surrendered to it. This morning, I want to talk about the three stages of surrender. Let's back up to verse number one, can we? Verse number one. 
On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like that of a roaring, mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were, what's the last word? Sitting. Sitting. The first stage of surrender is the stage of sitting. Y'all are good. 100% participation. Excellent. Aren't you glad you came to church? Like, I like to sit. Sitting's good. And then when I get home, I'm going to sit some more. I like to sit. Sitting's comfortable. Maybe you got your favorite chair. You know, sitting is a posture of submission. That's what sitting is. You ever had a fight with somebody sitting down? I've tried. It doesn't really work out that well. Even when you try to throw a punch. It's just not very effective. I got my chair over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab it. Because Christians, this is where we start, is the chair. And that's where the birth of the church started. Right here. Sitting down. You see, surrender starts in a posture of submission to God. How many of us, when it comes to God, we don't have a posture of submission. We have a posture of, I want my will. And God is saying, no, no, no. I'm the ruler. I'm the creator. This is the posture you need to take before me. A posture of sitting. Start here. The first stage of surrender is that stage of sitting. Because in Acts chapter number 1, Jesus met with the disciples one more time before he ascended. And what did he tell them to do? Wait. Until the Holy Spirit comes down. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost. That's Acts 1.8. So what are the disciples, what are the followers of the early church doing? They're obedient to that first command. Are you and I obedient to Christ's first command that he's given you? You have been given a first command. Are you obedient to it? My children love to argue. They are phenomenal at arguing. I will simply ask them to go downstairs and empty the dishwasher. And then they'll say, top or bottom? And I said, the dishwasher. We're not arguing about unloading the top or the bottom. I said, empty the dishwasher. And they want to have a little negotiation. Like, hey, Dad, how about I only do the cups and then you do everything else? I said, no, empty the dishwasher. You know what's so funny? We do the same thing with God, isn't it? God says, serve somebody, and we're like, well, can it, can it be my kids? God's like, that's a given. Can it be my spouse? God's like, you should have been doing that already. You mean you're not doing that? No, love your neighbor as yourself, and we kind of debate who's my neighbor, and we really pray and hope that we get a good neighbor that we actually like, so it's easy to love them. And then God sends you the messed up addict and all the problems, and you're like, really, God? And God's like, really? Or yours is the generosity portion. You haven't learned generosity. Or yours is the serve portion. You haven't learned to serve. What, where do you start? You see, surrender has a starting point. All of us want to see the big moments, don't we? We want God to just come down and show us your glory, God. We want to see that. We want to see these defining moments. However, surrender starts at a stage, and the first stage is the submission stage. Are you submitted to what God has for you? Are you saying, God, uh, I need to get this? Because I find in the church that we love to talk about other things and get beyond where God's like, it's the basics. 
It's Bible reading. It's prayer. It's loving others. It's asking the Holy Spirit to sanctify you and to cleanse you. It's holiness. It's righteousness. It's these basic things. But yet we in the church are really good at splitting hairs about things that don't matter as much. When God is saying, what happened to the church just starting with the basics? Obedience. And yet we miss it. There's a hum. I don't know if that can be fixed if you guys are hearing it, but I'm hearing a hum. And so here we see that the early church, they had to first of all be submissive. You see, the Holy Spirit can't feel anything that is fighting for control. The Holy Spirit will not demand control over you. He won't fight you for full control. And some of you feel like the Holy Spirit, we need to go to war like Jacob did. We need to wrestle. Why wrestle with somebody you know who can win? Why not just surrender to him? Why not say to the Holy Spirit, say, God, look, I don't want to spend all this time wrestling. How much further could I be if I wasn't fighting you? And so this is with a starting point. However, you don't stay here. Let's continue reading. Notice if you would, verse number 14. Third word. Then Peter, what's the word? So we go from sitting down to standing or stepping up. You see, surrender has stages. And this is the easiest stage, if I may be honest. It's the sitting stage. And some Christians never get beyond this stage. And my greatest fear for you, the church, is that your whole Christianity is based on one thing, that you go to church and that's it. That's all you do. You just go to church. You don't do anything else. God never intended the church to be a place that you check off your list, that that is the sum total of your Christianity. He called us to sit, receive the power, and then do what Peter did in verse 14. He sees all these people. What were the people saying? They're eh, just a bunch of drunk Christians, bunch of lunatics. That's nothing. Don't pay any attention. All of a sudden, the Bible says, nope, you got to stand up. He had to. You see, he got beyond stage one. I've been a Christian since I was 14 years old. I turned 40 in about five months. That's a long time I've gotten to be a Christian. I should be beyond this stage. Our church is not interested in staying at the same level. We're not interested in staying stuck. We are saying, we were here, but guess what? We're going to get somewhere. Many of you would not follow me as your shepherd, as your pastor, if I was not growing. However, can I say the same to you? It's quiet. I'm okay with quiet. It either means you're asleep or you're convicted. Because why is it that there are Christians that you've been a Christian your whole life, however, you've never read the Bible through cover to cover? He said, well, I just, that book Leviticus, that, they start talking about boils, Pastor. I don't, is that really relevant? You know, there may be a day where that could be really relevant to you and you need it and need it. Here's the thing. God 
put it in this book for us, for our admonishment and our edification. But yet, Christians, we, we don't know it. And it's not so much that I need to know everything. It's that by the washing of regeneration, that's the, how I renew my mind, by taking this word. It renews my mind. This word is what purifies me. And if I don't have it inside me, and I'm not trying to constantly work on it, yes, my marriage is going to struggle. Yes, my leadership is going to struggle. Yes, because I'm saying I want to stay stuck in this surface level. Here's the deal. You cannot say you're fully surrendered to God and stay sitting. You have to get a moment where you say, I'm surrendered to God, and then you get doing, not just sitting. Surrender comes in stages. And some of us need to look back and say, look, what stage? And this is a good morning to take some inventory of our own hearts and say, have I sat the bench long enough? Let me see anybody who ever played any sport at any time in your life. Let me see your hands. You played any sport, any sport. You currently put, excellent, put your hands down. Okay, cool. Now, I am not athletic. I'm not tall, vertically challenged, not super strong but I tried out for all the teams that my little Christian school offered. And we offered basketball, we offered flag football, and sometimes we had enough for a softball team. And can I tell you, we had a little thing called the bench, and then we had a coach. And what I would do is when all the players in, because I never started, but I wanted to get in the game, because why else be on the team? So I'd sit the bench and be like, hey, coach, put me in, put me in, coach. He'd be like, no, Makai, we want to win. Who cares? I want to play. I'm not here to look sexy in this jersey. Come on, put me in, you know. I didn't break five foot till I was over 15. I weighed 100 and something, not even 100 pounds soaking wet. I was, I was skinny little rail, okay? So I know why the coach didn't put me in, but I was just there. All fire. I was like, come on, put me in. Get me in the game. Let's go. But why is it that Christians come to church and God is saying, can you get your blessed behind off the seat and get in gear and let's do something for the kingdom? However, we're like this. Time to go. Time to get up. Oh, no problem. All right. We laugh. We think it's funny, but this is who we are. We don't take ground. We just find another spot to park our chair. When God is saying, no, no, are you fully surrendered? Are you ready to step forward? Because Peter, he's saying, I'm going to step up. I'm surrendered. I want to see what God can do in me, through me, and not just for me. And some of us are like, God, just do this for me. And God's like, how about I help you? He's stepping up. You know, Peter had been practicing his entire life for stepping up. Where do we find him? Luke chapter number 5. His boat is empty. Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I need to borrow your boat to teach this crowd. And Peter's like, well, I just cleaned it out. I, I didn't catch anything all night. So Peter has to step back into his boat. Later we meet Peter and he's going to go across the sea and there's a storm and he has to step out of his boat. Peter's been preparing to step out. Are you preparing to step out? Are you okay with just saying, no, no, I'm good with this chair? Why is it that Ridge Kids is begging for workers? Why is the media team begging for people? Why is the ushers begging for people? Why are we begging for youth workers, begging you to do this, begging you to do that? Why isn't there a surplus of people willing to serve? Isn't that interesting? I'm going to be blunt and I'm going to be offensive. 
I don't care how much you know about this book and if you can read it in the Greek and Aramaic. What I care about is what kind of difference is that book having on you that is therefore influencing the world. That's what we need to get to. And Peter is saying at Pentecost, he stood up and he's saying, I'm going to step up. I'm going to do something. You see, there can't be a movement if people won't move. Oh, God, turn America around. Some of you are more excited about a, about a country song, Richmond from Richmond, than you are about singing worship and praises to God. Some of us get more excited about patriotic things than saying, you know what, the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to change everything. He's the one that's going to redeem souls. Right now, I'm going to occupy till he comes. I'm going to do everything I can within my power. But man, I'm going to work and I'm going to love people and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit change their hearts. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit change my heart. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to start reaching people for Jesus. But I can't do this in my chair. I can't do it in my chair. So this morning it's saying, I can't just sit here. And my greatest fear is that we are going week after week saying, yeah, I'm good. I went to church. And what ends up happening is two things. You either say, yes, I'm convicted. Yes, I, not that I necessarily have to do more, but I just need to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. And then there's the other one. Water seeks its own level. You're just going to find an environment that never shakes anything up, that never challenges you. Just stay the same. That's my other fear. It's called lukewarm Christianity. It's not hot and it's not cold. It's just lukewarm. It's comfortable. Jane bought me a cold plunge. I need to get the water between 35 and 50 degrees and have to stay in it in three minutes, except for when she holds the alarm clock, the timer, it always goes longer than three minutes. She likes to see me suffer. I wish I could have the health benefits of lukewarm water instead of 35 degree water. And what ends up happening is Christians, we think we can get some benefit of finding a lukewarm church. We say, that's gotta be beneficial. I'm comfortable. If Jesus was concerned about our comfort, he would never have said, take up your cross and follow me. If he was concerned about our comfort. He would tell you, hey, you know what? Let's get a membership to Comfort Suites and let's get comfortable. Listen, no. But if the church is gonna move, the people have to say, I'm gonna allow Christ to move me. You see, we are really good at following the rules but not really following Jesus. We know the rules. We know what the Ten Commandments. We know what the Bible says. We follow it. For me, growing up, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. Them's was the rules. But we've got to get to the point where we say, no, no, no. I'm done sitting. I'm going to step up because destiny is not a mystery. It's a decision. But then he didn't just step up. Notice the next thing, same verse, four, verse 14. Let's put it up on the screen. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. He started to speak out. It went from sitting to standing to speaking. Do you see the progression? Is there a progression of surrender in your life? 
It has to move. There should be a progression. However, if we're honest, oftentimes it's a regression, not progression. We regress. Are we sweeter today in Christ than we've ever been? Or are we soured? Is our relationship with Jesus more beautiful today or less? Or is it like that car? We loved it when we first bought it, but then now that the new car smell is gone and now that it's a couple doors have dinged into it and now that the kids have got their uh, Cheetos and crackers buried in the back seat, it's kind of like, I don't really care about that car anymore. Have we done that with Jesus? We've gotten over, it's lost its luster, lost its shine. We need to come back to saying, I'm gonna speak out. Peter, what did he speak out? He spoke out about the spirit of God. He spoke out about the signs of the times. He spoke out about salvation of man. He brings it back in verse 21. He says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He spoke out for a reason. And the number one need of man in this hour is salvation. Mark it down. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And I firmly believe unless you repent of your sins, trust Christ as your savior, you are not headed to heaven. You are headed to hell. And so it is our responsibility as a light that is set upon a hill that cannot be hid. We are to light all men, show them the path to heaven. However, some of us don't really believe that. I think some of us somewhere can think, no, how can a loving God send people to hell? And I've taught on this, and I'll say it again. God sends no one to hell. We're already on our way there. He actually sent a rescue plan. The rescue plan's name was Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. We send ourselves there. Let's not get wrapped up in the world's argument that says, no, a loving God would never send anybody to judgment. He never did. He never will. The demons and the devil, they're going. He promised that in scripture. But when it comes to you and I, we need to step back and say, this is about the salvation of man. Peter brought it. And and here's what's interesting, church. I'm going to turn this into a Bible study. Acts chapter number one. You know the question that they asked Jesus before he left? He said this in verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? What were they asking him? Hey, we know before you didn't want an army to take over and we would have this this great Israel kingdom again, but you want to do it now, Jesus? It's still on their minds. And what does Jesus say in verse number seven? He said unto them, it is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He changes the subject. He said, it's not about an earthly kingdom. It's about a heavenly kingdom. And it's about you having power to bring that kingdom to earth. What if we put as much effort and energy into bringing heaven to earth? And saying, let me reach people for Jesus. Let me tell people about Jesus. What I love about this passage, Peter is finally going all in, all out for the all in all. That's what's happening. So my question for you is, this is the fifth week in the series. 
Are you ready to go all in? All out for the all in all? Or is it something you're still on the fence? You still want to sit in the chair? I'll say this, I love you no matter what. I do. I know I may preach hard. I know sometimes I may step on your toes. And it's because, yes, I do love you. And I'll continue to love you. I'll continue to pray for you. However, my prayer is, my hope is that there would be people that would say, look, I'm ready to take that next step. I'm ready to leave the seat. I'm ready to stand and I'm ready to speak. There's a progression in my surrender. My surrender has come full circle and I'm ready to go all out for God. Because surrender always starts small. Surrender goes slow, but surrender ends up being significant. If we go to verse number 41, I love it. It says this, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about how many people? 3,000. In one day. Did he say they had a Billy Graham crusade? Did they get the latest Christian worship band into play? Did they do a mass mailer to the entire city? Did they get 50 food trucks and say, free food for everybody? A man who started this passage sitting, stood up, and then he spoke. And the Holy Spirit came and did something significant. But God is looking for a surrendered vessel. The summer of 2005, I was traveling the country as a youth evangelist. And I was in Pennsylvania. Smod, I, I got to go to Gettysburg for the first time. And then we went to a little place as we toured Gettysburg. There was a place called Little Round Top. There's a famous story. It's history about Joshua Chamberlain from the 20th of May. He was actually a theology student who also taught rhetoric. And he volunteered and joined the 20th of Maine. He said, we started, there was a thousand soldiers. But by this time, there was just 300 left. Joshua Chamberlain and his men were told to defend Little Round Top. And if you've been to Gettysburg, you can kind of set the scene that the Confederate army was going to try to flank the Union army and defeat them. And many people believe that if Joshua Chamberlain didn't hold Little Round Top, the Union army would get flanked and defeated that day on the battle. And if the Union army got flanked and defeated that day at Gettysburg, not only would the war continue, they believed that at that point our nation would have split. Joshua Chamberlain is aware of all this. His commanding officer tells him, you need to defend Little Round Top. So with his 300 men, he begins to defend Little Round Top. As the 15th and the 47th from, the, from Alabama began to charge him with not just hundreds, but with thousands of soldiers, they held off the first advance, the second advance, the third advance, the fourth. And then by the fifth advance, they held them off, but they only had 80 soldiers left. Joshua Chamberlain calls for reinforcements, and he is informed no reinforcements would be coming. His scout tells him that they, Alabama is regrouping to make another assault up the hill. In that moment, Joshua Chamberlain makes the decision. His men say, we hardly have a round to a man. And with that, he looks at his officials and he says, charge. 
his men fix bayonets, and he says, as we descend down the hill, we are going to do a wheel right, and we're going to try to flank them as we charge. And his men begin to charge down the hill. His 80 men that day capture 4,000 Confederate soldiers. 1892, President Cleaver gives him Congressional Medal of Honor. But it's not so much the heroic deeds, but it's the statement that he says. When reflecting back on it, he said, I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. Deep within me, I had the inability to do nothing. I wish deep within the heart of every born-again child of God was the inability to do nothing. The inability to watch your neighbor die without Christ. The inability to watch your spouse not have Jesus. The inability to watch as your children go into eternity without Jesus. The inability to watch as our city slides into hell, unaware of the glorious gospel, the good news of the gospel. I wish we had a church that had an inability to sit still and watch as other people suffer when it's within our power to do something. Peter had no sermon with three points in a poem. Peter had no advance warning. He simply knew, I can't just sit here. When is the church going to say, I can't just sit here and watch as the human trafficking trade is taking over? We can turn a blind eye to it, however it's still there. I don't know when the church is going to stop saying the fentanyl crisis is not real. I don't know when the church is going to stop saying that we've got more people that are leaving the faith than ever before and we've got to do something about it. I don't know when the church is going to wake up and say, it's a weird problem that I don't even like to go study the Bible at a Bible study. Why is it that we've got to beg and plead for you to follow Jesus? Why is it that the sermon has to be so engaging, the worship has to be just how you like it, that the the pastor has to dress a certain way, that everything has to be to your liking? If the temperature's too hot, you whine. Too cold, you complain. If the seats aren't just right, the building isn't good, then all of a sudden, I gotta go find a different church. Why is it that we just simply say, I have this inability that I can't do nothing. I must do something because life is a vapor. It's just here for a moment and I'm going to use my moment and I'm going to leave a mark on this world. I'm going to do something even if it's just one soul that I went to Jesus. Even if it's just one person. I don't have to fill a stadium. I just got to get that one. And that one could be my spouse. That one could be my child. That one could be in the nursery where I just sit with that little child who's got the little runny nose and boogers and I think man I don't want to deal with this but I open up a Bible and it says Jesus loves you this I know for the Bible tells me so why has it got to be that the church has to have smoke and mirrors and fog lights and we got to give you donuts and coffee and yet that's still not good enough that the church needs to build a 10 million dollar building but every week we got to buy you donuts and you'll complain about the donuts tasting nasty that were free I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. 
Right, Jacob? You know I'm not sorry. When are the Christians just going to say, I have an inability. And there's a skinny little white dude that's going to remind me of my inability to sit in this city and watch it go to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what that phrase really means, but it sounds good. And so I'm going to say it this morning because we've got to step back and say, what are we really about? I'm really about seeing that baptism pool every Sunday, us dunking people who are giving their life to Jesus. Why is it just once a month? How about it's something we get used to that we're just winning people to Jesus because there's a whole lot of people that are hurting and struggling and cutting themselves and giving and selling their bodies and people that are doing whatever they can because they're looking for hope and the church is sitting back and we're whining. We complain. We don't know how to step back and just say, what did the early church have? What did the early church have? I wonder, maybe they whined about the pita bread. Maybe Bob, they, they said, you know what? This pita bread is not very good. They eat shawarma? I don't know. But if we step back and say, I could sit in this chair until I go to glory. And then one day I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, man, you, you just sat there? You watched everybody else serve you? And you complained about how they served you? I'm going to roll. Some of you, I hope you're convicted. Some of you. I have a smile on my face on Sunday mornings. And sometimes I just go back and I'm just grieved. I'm grieved. Miracles happen around. And you're upset about the loudness of the sound. I'm just thankful that we have a building that we have sound. I wish I could take you back to what Rod and Laura experienced January 26, 2014. You'd be complaining for a whole nother reason because you had to listen to my voice, not the beautiful voices of Angel and Dinah and Yumi. I didn't mean to turn this into a family meeting, but church is a family. And we ain't gonna mount to a hill of beans if we're so focused on our seat. And I'm so thankful that there was 120 people that said, I'm not just gonna sit here. I'm gonna go do something and let them to step up and speak out. And we are here because of it. Because this is the church. We descended from that church. We're just trying to do it like they did it. Can we stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. But I am so convicted in my own spirit by my own apathy to the things that I can let go to the people I can let walk out of my life without saying I love them and I care about them and I want them to know Jesus. I'm tired of my own carnality that I could go days without 
spending time in my secret place, abiding with you in your presence. Letting you and your word feed me in the deepest part of my soul. That I'm quick to turn to television to feed the emotional need or to get the quick fix. I'm quick to turn to social media. I'm quick to turn to a friend and I don't turn to you, Jesus. The allure of this world is so tempting and I need to repent of my own carnalness. And I need to just come back to a moment where I just get honest before you and humble and contrite before you and say, this is not how you want your church, your bride to behave. We want earth-shattering, groundbreaking movements, but yet we are stuck to our chairs and we won't move. So Father, move us out of our malaise. Stir us again. Rend the heavens. Fill us, God. Help us to surrender to you. And Father, I pray for those that their starting point, they're just a baby Christian, their starting point is the seat. Help, us, help them to know that there's more than just that seat. The seat is where we start, but it's not where we stay. Help them know that there's a life beyond this. And I pray for the Christian that's been a Christian for decades. And they're still in that chair. Father, my heart breaks for them. I pray that you would encourage them, Lord. Your word says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So, Father, we just pray for a mighty moving of your spirit in your church. Not just for our church, but for every church. I could just imagine your frustration with your bride, God, as you watch areas like the Bay Area, one of the most unchurched areas in the country, and all the resources we have, all the power that we have, and yet we do so little. Forgive us, God. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand who you are standing? Amen. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. And I love you dearly. And I firmly believe the best is yet to come. And I believe what God has started, no man can stop because man has tried to stop it. And I believe we're just getting started. And if you're looking for a church, this is a church that we come and sit every now and then, but we don't stay there. So I'm grateful that you're here. On your way out, I know what you're gonna say. Pastor, I never complained about a donut. I know you didn't, okay? I know you didn't. And I want you to know that we do our best to make this place as comfortable as possible. But remember, we as Christians, the church is for us, but it's not about us. It's for us, but it's not about us. And so we go out this week. Let's go read somebody. Take that Spanish invite card. Come back with somebody. Take the English invite card and say, come back with me. It's going to be crazy. You don't know what he's going to say. But let's go to this church. It'd be great. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.